How do you motivate yourself after losing billions and how do you start all over again? And when privacy is dead, where do you go? Listen to the man with green glasses about your digital footprint. Here is some brain food from Lydia to you with a guest. Welcome, Eric Wallman. Thank you for having me. What, do you, what is your impression of Sweden so far? I mean, you've been traveling in Sweden and do your talks and everything. Did you, any, any impressions that you can uh, share with us? Well, I love Sweden. Love, love, love Every Sweden. Every American says that. When yeah, I mean, what, what's not the love? So I love fish. I especially love locks in the morning. So it's the best locks I've ever had. Uh, beautiful people. Beautiful water. What else can you ask for? And I've got sunshine here, which I know is not always the case. So when you have sunshine here, it's amazing. And I actually do like the sense of humor here and the sense of sport. Uh, having been a big sports person growing up, I love that everyone here is into, most people are into outdoors activity and sports. So what do you do in the U.S. if it's so brilliant here? <laughs> <laughs> no answer? Oh, why don't I move here? Oh, man, uh, I might. The tax rate's getting so high in the United States. You never know. No, it'd be good. We have good taxes here as well. Yeah. Anyway, you have brilliant green glasses on your face right yeah. now. And I, I'm just, I, I can't help myself laughing about that because is it meant to be clownish or is it meant something else? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I haven't heard clownish before. I've heard a lot of things, but not clownish. But I'll try to make this as short as possible. So when you think about my name, Eric Qualman, which is a Swedish spelling, E-R-I-K, which I love, instead of being E-R-I-C, which is how they, most people spell it in America. Uh, but when you have Eric Qualman, most of the time, your first initial last name is your email address. So for 30 years, I've been equal man, which sounds like a superhero, uh, which when you're younger is not good because people make fun of you, you're equal man. Uh, but as you get older and digital becomes a big thing and you're in the digital space, which I've been in for 26 years, all of a sudden it becomes a giant asset, a positive thing for us to step into that discomfort. And so I was doing an interview for one of my books for a magazine and they said we're going to take some pictures for the cover and we'd really like you to take some Superman Clark Kent glasses <laughs> and wear them since you have a name Equal Man. And so I said, cool, let's do it. And they said, well, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Do you mind if they're bright green? I go, whatever helps you sell more magazines, whatever <laughs> helps you, I'll put them on. Uh, so I do that. Don't think anything of it. We have a fun day. And then a couple of weeks later, I fly to Kenya to give a talk. And when I land in Kenya, I was actually going to adopt a baby cheetah, not to take home, but to help support the local community there. Uh, the night before, the sprinter, the Olympian uh, Usain Bolt, uh, was there and adopted a cheetah from the same litter. And they go, look, we took a bunch of photos and video of Usain Bolt. We want to take photos and video of you and marry those two together for the week to really help the shelter. And we would really like you to have your green glasses on. And I kind of paused and said, well, I don't wear crazy green glasses every day. I look pretty stupid <laughs> walking around with green glasses. I just did that for that magazine. Uh, and they said, no, everyone in Kenya, that's what they think you look like. You have to have these green glasses Wonderful. on. Wonderful. So fell into it backwards. Uh, definitely has people say clownish or goofy. Um, it might cost us some business, but like I talked about on stage, 
it generates more business for animation studio uh, because you can't live in the gray. You cannot live in the gray. You've got to have people that absolutely love things. Maybe it's green glasses. Maybe it's something you do. Absolutely love what you do. And what that's going to have is people that, that don't like it. And you've got to be able to live with that. And it's not in our DNA to live with that. It's a good thing. We want everyone to like us. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to understand that if you're doing something big, there's going to be people who don't like it. But the key is to focus on the people that absolutely love it. Mm. No, I, I mean, this yeah. is your brand now. It's, yeah. it's a fact. It's become. I got to live with them. <laughs> got to live with the green glasses. <laughs> now, uh, you made me really think about how my children and grandchildren will remember me and what kind of digital footprint I leave. I have never thought about that like that. And now you, you've written books about it, but, but how should we, what kind of perception should we have when we talk about uh, footprints within the digital area? Yeah, I mean, a great exercise for everyone out there listening to do is just a question. Here's a question I asked on stage today, and it's a, it's a very simple question. It's going to be a one-word answer for everybody out there. But what you should ask yourself is, if someone were to Google your name right now, what's the one word you want to show up on Google? What's the one word you want to show up five seconds from now, five years, 50 years, 500 years from today? But you can't control everything that is written about you. Other people's write about you. You can't decide every every line. Exactly. You got to control what you can control. So what we talked about today was the digital stamp. And so the digital stamps comprise of your digital footprint. That's anything that you upload about yourself online. So you control that. The piece you can't control is the digital shadow. That's what other people post about you. So the key is that to, to control your digital stamp. That's why I want you to do that one word exercise because that'll put you in a position to at least control the pieces that you can control. Um, and then part of your story is going to be what other people post about you. And some of that's going to be negative, but if it's only 5% of the story, that's okay. And you got to remember that products that have a five out of five star rating sell less than a product that has a 4.5 or a four out of five star rating because it's real. And like human beings, it's okay to have 5% that's negative. No one's perfect out there. <laughs> So it's just part of your story, but you got to make sure that you control what you can control. And so that's why that's why you want to do that word exercise. And how do we handle digital shadows? So the digital shadows, if someone posts something negative about you mm. um, or you make a mistake, is first of all, if you make a mistake, don't watch what the politicians do. Uh, do what you should do, which is say, I made a mistake. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it and follow through and actually fix it. So most of the time you get in trouble is, when you try to cover up your crime, it's not the crime itself. So a good example that everyone out there will know, listeners, and I know Monica Lewinsky is here a couple years ago, is that Bill Clinton, if he would have just said right away, I'm sorry, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. It's when exactly. he tried to cover up and lie that it became a big problem. Mm. That's why he got impeached. And so we've got to remember that that was not the crime itself. It was the cover up. I mean, that's the first lesson you learn in communication. Yeah. Admit your, your mistakes mm -hmm. and be transparent. Yeah. Uh, have you done mistakes that you have sort of uh, regretted and, and asked forgiveness for? Or? Oh, yeah. No, I'm failing all the time. As we talked about on stage of fail fast, fail forward, fail better. Uh, most of them hopefully aren't malicious. I've definitely made mistakes out there. I've, I've lost... I mean, I've lost $500,000 uh, $500, at one point, which is all of my money at one point. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things to where 
it was all of my discretionary income. So I'd worked for 17 years in jobs I liked and like saved up a bunch of money. And then there's this great investment. And it happened all during, during when we think about that. Uh, man, I can't remember the, the famous guy that was taken down for the Ponzi scheme, but it was a mini version of that Ponzi scheme. So all my friends were CFOs of companies and we were all invested in this real estate deal, which turned out to be just a pyramid scheme. So it wasn't just me. I lost a lot of money for me, but other people lost millions and millions of dollars. But it taught me a lot. It reminded me that, look, you don't know when your last day is and you don't need to work to save up because that could go away. Like do what you love because it can go away. Just like me, it went away in an instant. Now, fortunately, I liked what I did before that, but that's when I started my own company. It was the worst time to start it when all you lose all your savings. We're about to have our first kid. But it's like, hey, my kids need to look at me and say, yep, he followed his dream. And so that was the best lesson. And I would do it all over again. It's the best education I've received. It was an expensive education, but it's the best education I've received. In some way, it's so touching to hear to hear you describe this because what was you, what 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 did you work with before, and what are you living uh, for dream now? Yeah, before, and I love what I did. I was in the digital space long before it was cool to be in the digital space. So I worked at Yahoo back in the '90s, back when they were kind of the Facebook of the day. I was the head of marketing at Travel Zoo. Um, but I did all these jobs in the digital space, but then I always had like this idea. It wasn't all the time, and that's why I want to talk about entrepreneurs out there. You don't have to go immediate cold turkey. There's a lot of folks working at big companies that are entrepreneurs, and you can kind of straddle the fence at night and work hard at night to do it. Uh, but I'd already been working hard at night to write books and start my animation company. But when I lost all that money, that was kind of the aha moment that Part of me was saying, now I can't do it. I can't do it because I don't have this egg nest to fall back on. I don't have the money. But they said, no, you have to do it. because That's a big difference. Yeah, you could lose your money. But the, the initial thought that came to me is like, thank goodness that I'm healthy and happy. And that's all that matters. And so let's just go for it. And from that point, what are you most proud of that you have achieved? Being a dad, always. I mean, it always grounds me. I come home, I have two daughters. And so just... Being a dad always is fantastic to ground you. But in the business world, it's can you impact lives? And so that's what I talked about, that word exercise. My word is empower. So how do I entertain, educate, and empower as many people as I can around the world? And we set laughable goals at our company. So I say we want to empower 7 billion people Wow! in the next 20 years because there's 7 billion. There's now there are more than 7 billion people on the planet. But how do we let people know this is how you use digital tools the right way to bring the world together. And if you look at like edX.org, when I was up in Cambridge at MIT and Harvard, sitting there as we started the initiative to make MIT and Harvard's education for free. So if you have an internet connection in Nepal, if you can get to an internet connection, you can get a Harvard education for free. And now we have over 100 universities that are on the tool and platform. And so that's what we understand that Nelson Mandela said that the most powerful tool to bring the world together, the most powerful weapon, sorry, I used the word weapon, in the world is education. And so that's what that initiative is trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about education, it makes me think about leaders in this kind of area that we live in, uh, era, I would correct myself and say, what kind of digital leader should we have? Uh, what is a good digital leader? 
you know, they all take different forms and fashions. That's why we said there's really five habits that all digital leaders practice. And you should only not do all five. You should go on the two that you're strongest in. And just real quick for the listeners out there, it's really about simplifying your life, taking stuff out of it. It's about being true to who you are. It's about A, taking action, even though a lot of us are afraid to fail or worried about other people think, it's actually taking that action, which can be hard to do. And then M's for map, meaning we still have to have a firm destination in mind, but more and more we have to be flexible in our path to get there. There's gonna be a ton of hurdles in our way, and those hurdles are actually frustrating in the day-to-day, but they're there for everybody else. They're there to keep your competition out. They're there, not there for you. They're there to push you out a little bit and then come back to center. So it's about having that map. And then last but not least, none of this happens. No one does it by themselves. It's surrounding yourself with the right people, both offline, which is the most important, lunches, coffees, hugs, handshakes. But now more and more when there's time and distance are an issue, like when I meet people in Sweden and I'm not in Sweden, using these digital tools to remain connected with the folks here. You have uh, um, written a couple of books here. I mean, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube is one of the lines. What do you mean by that title? So there's a famous slogan in the United States, and I've even heard it here because there's Gotland Island. I've been there on Visby, and what happens in Visby stays (laughs) on Visby. But with the advent of all these tools, the privacy is now dead is that I realize that people don't understand that privacy is dead. With these digital tools, everything's fully transparent. When everyone has a camera, a, a, a high-def camera in their pocket at all times, they can record video. As I took that slogan, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, I said, that's not true. What happens in Vegas stays on YouTube. So the whole goal there is to let people understand that privacy is dead, which we didn't ask for that, but now we need to step into it and produce our best digital self and then protect it. So when you talk to young children out there, children being like middle schoolers or 13 teenagers, is what you're going to try to do is say, don't do this, don't do that. They're going to shut you out. They don't want to hear that. What you want to do is go, here's how you produce your best digital self. This is how you can make yourself look the best, help people the most online. And then here's how you protect it. So that's the whole purpose of the book. Here's how you produce your best self. Here's how you protect it. It's not just don't do this, don't do that. And what about integrity? I mean, is that not in fashion anymore? (laughs) No, it's a great question. So if we look, the book goes into this, and it's one of the rules, is that reputation is now the same thing as integrity. So historically, those are two different things. That's why there's two different English words for them, is that integrity is what you stood for behind closed doors. Reputation is what the public perceived you to be. So the major shift in a fully transparent world is those are one in the same thing. And so that's a beautiful thing for the world. It actually is. So at first we're like privacy dead. There's some bad things about no privacy, but one of the best things is the light is gonna shine on everything. It's gonna shine on the darkness in a fully transparent world. So it's actually a good thing that that happens. If you know that your wife's probably gonna find out that you're cheating on her, you're probably less likely to do it. And so it's just interesting on how that looks Um, So that's why we wanted to write those books. What is the most common question people give to you after reading this book or hearing your speech? Yeah, I think the most common question is what's the biggest mistake that people make out there? And the biggest mistake is that what I want you to leave with is understand it's a combination of the offline and the online. I'm a digital guy. I love digital. But the reason I love getting here today is I'm a people person first. 
And so it's really about humanity that I love. And so how do we use these digital tools to help bring us together, not separate us? So it's about getting out of your phone. So the number one mistake that people make is they're going too far into the technology. Technology is amazing. It's going to make our world better, but you have to use it the right way. And the easiest way to use it the right way is start with face-to-face first. Put your phone down. This Saturday, all you listeners out there, just do an unplug and don't touch your phone. Don't touch anything digital for Saturday and see how it feels. That's hard, but it feels good. I've tried yeah. it, actually. <laughs> it is hard. And how often do you do it? I try to do it on Saturdays. I'll still. Why Saturday? It's just easy. Saturday because, one, it's the weekend, and I can spend time with the children. And then Sundays, Monday's about to start. So if something <laughs> happens with a customer or a client, then it gives you that breathing room. But it's a good day to go, okay, whew, I've got to detoxed, and then we start back on Sunday. Now, more on the personal note, I mean, you have been nominated to the Pulitzer Prize for uh, uh, one of your books, that is What Happens in Vegas Days on YouTube. How does that feel to get credit for all this hard work post your loss yeah. of all the money? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's overwhelming, but again, it doesn't happen alone, so I'm just blessed. It just reminds me of how many people are helping not only people on my team, but just people here, people outside of our team that, that help make that happen. So I'm thankful for all the the listeners. I'm thankful for all the readers. And so whenever something like that happens, it's a shared award if we are able to receive it. And we just say, man, this is so cool that people are helping spread the word because that's all it is. I'm just kind of a vehicle to hopefully people here listen to this and they spread the word. Mm. So what about LinkedIn, which is your uh, last book, your latest book? Mm-hmm. Not, lo- not your last, I hope, yeah. your latest. Yeah, I'm writing a book right now on focus. So how do we focus in an unfocused world? So that research is fascinating. I've already spoken on it on stage like six times, so there's a need for it. Whenever I talk to thought leaders and CEOs, they're really good at focusing, but it's the number one thing they struggle with, just like everybody. everybody why, is that, why is that so hard? It's so hard just because there's so much going on. There's so much demand on our time. So whether it's your family, whether it's the nonprofit you're helping, whether it's the business, there's always, and then the day, there's stuff that you're not, you can't expect what's going to happen, and all of a sudden it throws your day off kilter. And sometimes we don't focus on the most important thing because we're afraid of it. Sometimes we're afraid of it. We focus on the immediate. We focus on answering the 20 emails because it's easier. And we go, I did something. I had 20 emails, now I have zero. Whereas if your goal is to write a movie or to record some music, sometimes when you step into that, then you might fail. And that's why sometimes we do that. We don't focus on the most important thing. We allow that focus to be grabbed from us. Or with our family, that's the one thing that moves is that we go, oh, because it's not scheduled. So one thing that we've learned is, and through the research of this book, is you need to schedule your family time like you schedule your business time. You got to put in your calendar from six to eight o'clock, I'm going to be with my kids. Or for me, when I travel, I will not be away from my kids more than 52 nights throughout the year. So we'll take the family with us when we travel if we get up to that number, because that works out to one night a week. And so I saw some going down a path. I go, I can't, for me, I can't be away from my kids that long. And uh, how can you have material for a whole book? talking about focus i mean you explained it very well in four lines here yeah no it's funny we have way too much material uh i always talk to the publisher and they'll say we need sixty thousand words i go well then i'm not going to publish through you because if i want to read a short book 
And so let's get it down to just what's the best of the best. Well, how short is, is it? <laughs> we're, we don't know yet. We're still writing it. But you'll be amazed at all the different tips and tricks that I've come across. And so it gets me excited because I'm basically, I always start writing a book with a readership of one, meaning, is this interesting to me? Is it going to help one reader, me? And I always say at the beginning of the books, I go, I don't practice all these things. I would like to. That's why I'm having this as a resource because I will read this probably more <laughs> than you will. And so it's really about making sure that we have that resource. So you get into stuff like how do you sleep better at night? What causes you to sleep poorly? Oh, if you look at your phone within 30 minutes before going to bed, of course, you're going to sleep poorly. If it's too warm in the room, it's going to sleep poorly. How do you get more done? Oh, you should wear the same shirt every day because that makes you not have to make as many decisions. You should always wear a black shirt every day or a gray shirt every day. And so it's stuff that we're testing. So you'd be crazy surprised that when you go down the path of focus, just how much stuff is out there, which is ironic because you're trying to focus. You're like, wow, there's so much information. Let's focus on what's the best. It was easier before when you only had one shirt or skirt or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Now, finally, you have said something about uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, that was the book you were writing uh, latest, I think. Mm -hmm. um, how to sell on LinkedIn. How do you sell on LinkedIn? Well, first, it's about not selling first. So, so why, why do you name the book How to Sell on LinkedIn? <laughs> because that's what people will Google search. So if you go ah. into like Google Trends, if anyone wants to use Google Trends, you can see what people search on. So it's a good way to figure out what a title of a book should be, is what are people going to look for? And so that's what they look for. How do I sell on LinkedIn? And so when we dug into it, the key is you want to listen, interact, react, and then sell. Because if you sell right away, what that looks like is at the cocktail reception here, is you walk up to four people you don't know that are having a great conversation and you say, can I tell you why I'm great for the next five minutes? <laughs> That's not going to go over so well. <laughs> no. And we know not to do that. But online, people do that all the time. They do the equivalent of that online. So uh, yeah, how to sell on LinkedIn, it really is all about relationship building. It's about, po we talked about posting it forward. So on LinkedIn, the way posting it forward looks is that you should go for three minutes a day. So everyone out there listening, three minutes a day, you should carve this out in your calendar, just put three minutes a day. Go on LinkedIn and just endorse people you know for skill sets they're good at. And the neuroscience shows it makes you happier doing that. It makes the recipient happier. And crazy enough, if someone sees that endorsement, it makes them happier. And what you're doing is you're networking before you need the network. And sales, It's a win-win-win. Right, mm. and sales always comes back to people. So it's win-win-win. And over the long haul, you're doing it because you're a good person, but then you'll start to see, wow, I'm getting a lot more sales. It's almost like when we promote the podcast on LinkedIn. We say you need it, it's free, we're independent, you're going to like it, and, and you just have to um, uh, use 30 minutes of your life to listen to it. Yeah, no, I love what you're doing. I mean, it's amazing. So I'll definitely go out there and like it on LinkedIn for sure. Do you promise? Yeah, yeah, no, no, this is great. I love the mission of what you guys are doing. There's a good why to what you're doing. Thank you. It's a quite good why of what you're doing as well, Eric Wallman. No, thank you. It's fun. <laughs> that's for sure. Hopefully it's helping people. Thank you for being here and good luck. No, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you.